0: The scripture is from the Sermon on the Mount, taken from Matthew, chapter 7, starting at verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you shall recognise them. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognise them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name, drive out our demons, and perform many miracles? Then I will say to them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers.
1: Thank you, Jill. Um, so I invite you to pray with me as we uh, come in to explore this passage and the penultimate um, message from uh, this series on the Sermon on the Mount. So Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you that all, for all that you have taught us and revealed to us uh, throughout this series. And we pray that today and uh, over the next, uh, this week and next week that you um, just continue to, to build us up as your disciples through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, So who here has an email address? Put up your hand if you have an email address. Okay, so there's a good chance if you've got an email address, you've received a scam email that says something along the lines of, I have an enormous sum of money and I've decided out of the billions of email addresses in the world that you're the winner and that I want to transfer this money to you, but all you need to do is transfer me, say, a few hundred dollars or a few thousand dollars uh, to help make that transaction happen. Uh, And so here's the bank details to do that. Um, So so there's a good chance that most of us received a scam email like that. Uh, Or another scam email that pretends to be from a bank. Um, So I do have Westpac bank accounts once, but... Um, I I once didn't have Westpac bank accounts and I received an email that uh, suggested it was from Westpac and said, we've lost all your details or something like that and we just need you to send us through all of your details uh, to confirm your account with us, um, including, you know, uh, account number and password and things like that. Um, And and so I I obviously didn't send that through. Uh, and, And a while ago, last year, I received a phone call, actually on the office phone here in the church, uh, from someone who was claiming to be a lawyer and said, I, I-, I want to talk to you, I'm-, I'm-, I'm calling you about the car accident you had in the last couple of years. And I thought, well, actually, I haven't had a car accident, but someone did bump into the side of my car down the main street of Yass. And I'm like, yeah, I kind of did. And uh, as it went on, I got more and more uncomfortable with the idea of this, this person's cold called me uh, and, and um, wanting more and more information from me. So I just said, thank you very much goodbye. Uh, The reality is that that falsehood and deception are part of life. If you've got an email address, if you've got a phone or if you've met people in your life, there's a good chance that you've come across some level of falsehood or even intentional deception. And so what do we need to identify a a deception or, or a scam? What do we need? Discernment, exactly. And so we we talked a couple of weeks ago about how judgmentalism, that critical negative spirit, is incompatible with God's kingdom. Judgmentalism is incompatible with God's kingdom, yet discernment is required. And so at the end of that passage, Jesus said, you know, you don't throw pearls to swine um, because they'll just trample them under your foot. He's saying that, that you're not meant to be judgmental, but you are meant to be discerning. And so, in today's passage, Jesus teaches His disciples to be non-judgmental, yet discerning. And so, today, He focuses on two key areas of discernment. Discerning prophets, or, or to broaden out that term, teachers and leaders, those who would seek to speak for God, and discerning ourselves. Discerning prophets and discerning ourselves. So, first, Jesus speaks about discerning prophets and In verse 15, he says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, i.e. wool, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. And so false prophets come in dressed as a member of the flock, looking like they belong in the flock, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. And so Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. And as I've said, these are, these are leaders in the church. These are leaders who, who seek to speak for God. And as I said, we can broaden out the term in a sense of teachers, uh, uh, pastors. Um, the, the word prophets really means those who, who are messengers of God. And so Jesus says, be on the lookout for false prophets. And as, as we've read, he says that they are those that come as wolves in sheep's clothing. And so what that means is that the outward appearance, what they look like is not how we judge a false prophet. We can't see someone walk through the door and go, oh, that's a false prophet. They don't come dressed as wolves, they come dressed as everybody else looking like a member of the flock. And and so Jesus is warning His disciples, just like there's email scams, there's falsehood and deception in your emails, there's falsehood and deception in phone calls, uh, there's falsehood and deception in life, Jesus is saying the realm of faith is not immune to falsehood and deception. There will be false prophets, teachers and leaders. So look out, wolves in sheep's clothing. He's also saying by that, that, that not everything that looks good is the truth. Not everything that's comfortable and nice is the truth. And so then Jesus goes on in the, in the next verses in 16 to 20 to talk about, well, how do you identify them? If you can't identify a false prophet, leader, teacher by their outward appearance, then then how do we identify them, if we're to be on the lookout? And so Jesus says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear good fruit, sorry, bad fruit, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. By their fruit, you will recognize them. And and so it's one of the fundamental principles of nature. Um, Neil's gone out to kids' church, I think, but Neil's the, I forget the word for it, horticulturalist. Uh, And so he knows much more about trees than me, but he will tell you that uh, an apple tree cannot bear oranges and an orange tree cannot bear apples. It's one of the fundamental laws of nature that God has shaped, that that trees bear fruits according to their kind. It's also true that an unhealthy tree generally tends to produce less healthy and abundant fruit and a, a healthy tree tends to produce more healthy and abundant fruit. That there's, a, there's a, a nature to a tree that is in alignment with the kind of fruit that it produces. And so Jesus says a good tree will bear good fruit and a bad tree will bear bad fruit. And he talks about grapes and thorn bushes, figs and thistles. And so grapes and, and figs were kind of the staple fruit. Last week we talked about Fish and bread, they were the staple food of of Palestinian Jews at the time and figs and grapes were the the staple fruits of Palestinian Jews. And and so Jesus is talking about fruits that were were common to the people uh, that he was speaking to and he said, you don't get grapes from a thorn bush, which is kind of common sense but if you stand far enough back though, the outward appearance of a thorn bush and like a I'm not thinking the the well-groomed vineyard type of of grapes, but a, a fairly robustly wild grape plant, they don't look too dissimilar. They're both kind of scraggly and bushy and green. And so it's only by tasting the fruit, or at least getting close enough to see what kind of fruit is on the bush, be it a grape bush or a thorn bush, that you can actually discern, well, this is a grape tree slash bush. It's by testing the fruit of a tree that you can ultimately identify what kind of tree it is. And I was thinking as, a, as I was looking at this passage during the week, I was thinking about thorn bushes and we've got what you could probably describe in some level as a thorn bush out in the, the gully here. Um, it's actually a blackberry bush. But The thing about blackberry bushes is they actually produce quite a nice uh, fruit. Um, My wife Christy and I on on Thursday went for a walk up and around and down to the river over the other side of the river and found some blackberry bushes there and they had some nice fruit on them. And I was also thinking about how many ornamental pear trees there are in Yass that look really lovely but they don't produce anything worth eating at all. And so I was thinking about this and I thought, well, not everything that's prickly, not everyone that's prickly is a false prophet and not everything that looks good Is bearing good fruit and so Jesus message rings true it's it's by the fruit not by its appearance from a long way back but by the fruit of something that you can test whether it is good or bad whether it is true or false the true test of a tree is not it's outward appearance but it's fruit and the true test of a prophet a teacher a leader someone who seeks to guide others in faith is their fruit not their outward appearance, not the way uh, in which they present themselves. And so what kind of fruit is Jesus talking about here? He he doesn't actually say, he says good fruit, but he doesn't actually say what specific kind of fruit that we should be looking for. His example of grapes and thorn bushes and figs and thistles suggests that there is a dramatic difference between the kind of fruit that a false prophet or teacher or leader and a true faithful prophet, teacher, and leader will produce. There's a a dramatic difference. And so I I suggest that Jesus kind of on some level expected us to have a grasp of what kind of fruit He was talking about. But, But the questions we could ask is, does it nourish people and build them up in their faith in Jesus? Does it lead people to be stronger in Jesus, the fruit of this prophet's ministry, or does it weaken their faith in Jesus? Is it consistent with God's revealed Word to us in the Scriptures? Does it bear the kind of fruit? Does it uh, have a taste to it, to keep the fruit metaphor, that's, that's consistent with what we taste of the fruit of Jesus in the Scriptures? Uh, 1 Corinthians 14 talks about prophecy, and, and 12 and 13 as well, but 1 Corinthians 14 talks about prophecy and it said it should be done in love. And it's for the strengthening, encouraging and comforting of people. And so if we're tasting the fruit of a prophet, we can kind of say, well, does, this, does this taste like love? Does this strengthen me and others? Does it comfort me and others? Does it encourage me and others? And that doesn't always mean, as I said, it could be like a blackberry bush. Sometimes it's, it can be a little bit prickly but the fruit of it is good. In Galatians, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit should kind of taste fairly similar to what the fruit of a true prophet tastes like. And so the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22 is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And so I think this is the kind of fruit that Jesus is referring to as well, that that if a faithful prophet and no human is perfect, so we're never going to get someone who perfectly produces 100% untainted fruit. Just as every apple tree will have at least a few apples with a few blemishes on it, even though it's a good tree, every faithful teacher, leader, prophet will have a few blemishes on it. But but we can ask, does it taste like the fruit of the Spirit? Does it taste like love? Does it taste like joy? Does it give me peace? Does it give me patience? Does it build up kindness? Does it build up goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or self-control? Or does it taste like the opposite of that? And so what I want to suggest that Jesus is encouraging us to do to to steal a, a phrase from a different realm of life is that we should be alert but not alarmed. When it comes to false prophets, deception within the church and within faith. Be alert but not alarmed. Jesus says, beware of false prophets. This word beware does mean to be alert, to be on guard, but but it doesn't have the sense of fear attached to it. Jesus doesn't want us to be afraid of false prophets and false teachers and false leaders and, and dodgy pastors. He doesn't want us to be fearful but He does want us to be alert, to be aware, to be examining the fruit that we're asked to swallow. Be alert but don't be alarmed. But also I suggest that Jesus doesn't want us to be cynical, critical and negative either. He doesn't want us to never eat any fruit because there's bad fruit out there. Be alert But don't be alarmed. Simply test the fruit. In John 15 uh, verses 4 and 5, Jesus says this, he says, Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a person remains in me and I in them, they will bear much fruit apart from me. You can bear, do nothing. And so, so the only true fruit is fruit that flows from Jesus. And so if any of us have any idea of, of the fruit of Jesus, if we have a relationship with Him through the Scriptures and through our, through our faith, then we've got a, a sense of what it tastes like. So we can all test the fruit. Does it taste like the fruit of Jesus? And, and so testing the spiritual fruit, in the end, is, is quite an, kind of a lot like testing real fruit. If you're uncertain about the fruit of a particular prophet or leader or teacher or a book that you might read, the first thing you can do is the first thing that I would do if I was in the bush, um, especially with Neil the horticulturalist and I came across a bush with, with fruit blossoming on it, I would ask someone that I expect to know better than me about the topic. And I would say, Neil, is the fruit of this bush good to eat? And Neil would be able to instruct me on uh, the, the pros and cons and whether I could expect a degree of in, intestinal upset or not from eating that fruit. And so testing spiritual fruit, if you're uncertain, I encourage you to do the same. Ask somebody who, who perhaps has journeyed in faith longer or, or may have tested that fruit before and, and ask someone, what's the fruit of that, that prophet, that leader, that teacher like? That's a good place to start. The other thing you can do is a bit like testing real fruit and Christy and I found the blackberry bush and I was a bit, uh, has it been sprayed or not? The berries look good. And and so the first thing I did, I took took one off and I don't know what I was sniffing for, but I gave it a sniff. And so if you're testing spiritual fruit, you can just have a little sniff and see how that sits with you. Does it sit with you like the fruit of Jesus would? If that seems okay, have a little nibble and see how that sits with you. Don't be negative and cynical. You don't have to never eat any fruit, but simply just test it and see how it goes. Test the fruit. And if the fruit isn't right, don't eat it. Simple as that. If you have some fruit and it sits bad with you, then you throw out the rest of it. And, and And so the same is true of false prophets, false teachers, false leaders. If you discover someone that you feel is just just not right, that the fruit is not right, then don't eat it. Don't keep swallowing it. Let others know that that might be in danger of eating that fruit but but we don't need to become false prophet hunters either. We don't need to be traveling the globe trying to find out who all the false prophets are and 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 writing blogs and things about, unless you really feel called, that that's your calling, Uh, question whether that's the case, but we don't have to be false prophet hunters either. We simply need to, for our own lives and those around us, test the fruit of what we're swallowing and be those that encourage others, this is good, eat it all up or be careful with that, it's not that great to swallow. And so Jesus encourages us to be non-judgmental but discerning, to be alert, but not alarmed. And then he shifts from judging or or discerning false prophets, false teachers, false leaders. He he shifts to a far more critical issue of discernment for the life of everybody. In uh, Matthew 7, 21 and 23 now, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only those, only the one, sorry, who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will say to them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And so Jesus shifts the focus from false prophets to false disciples, to false Followers of Jesus. But this now isn't an invitation for us to identify other people in the room who might be false disciples. This isn't an invitation for us to point out the false believers in the crowd. It's an invitation to self-discernment. I picture Jesus, and I've spoken throughout this series, that, that Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount to His disciples, to those committed followers of him, those who are in relationship with him, but he's doing it in the presence of a crowd. And so I picture Jesus, when he turns to this last uh, few sections of the Sermon on the Mount, I picture him looking over the shoulders of his disciples at the crowd, because this is an invitation for us to assess where we are at. Be alert, don't be alarmed about false prophets, teachers, leaders, but, but a more critical issue of discernment is, where are you at yourself? The critical question that Jesus encourages us to ask ourselves here is, is my own salvation secure? Is my own salvation secure? Jesus talks about that day. He says, on that day, many will come to me. And and so by that day, we're we're talking about the day of the Lord. The scripture talks about it. It's also talked about the day of judgment. It's the day in which Jesus will judge the living and the dead, we're told. That, that all will rise who have passed, all who are uh, still living will be uh, caught up and brought up to Jesus and Jesus will be the judge. He talks about it as the day that is coming. It's a day that we all need to reckon with in our future. And so on that day, Jesus says, uh, many will come to me claiming to be disciples. Many will come to Jesus with the belief that their salvation should be secure they come and say Lord Lord did we not you know cast out demons did we not prophesy in your name did we not perform many miracles in your name and I want to say this morning that this isn't a warning against performing miracles this is not a warning against the supernatural because in Matthew 10:1. Jesus instructed His followers to do exactly what these people are claiming to do. He says in Matthew 10.1, He called His 12 disciples to Him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Elsewhere He says, uh, go into the world, cleanse lepers, heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead. And So, so these people are claiming to have done what Jesus specifically instructed His disciples to do. And so the problem here is not that they performed miracles or engaged in, uh, or at least claimed to have engaged in supernatural miracle, uh, ministries. What's the problem? Why are these people cast aside? Jesus says, Because I never knew you. I never knew you. They're relying on their own works. And not on a relationship with Jesus for their salvation. Their claim to salvation is based on what they believe or at least claim to have done in the name of Jesus. I think Jesus intentionally uses this, I guess, more dramatic, more supernatural side of things. Because we might think, well, if you've done that, then, then surely you're a true believer. But, but Jesus says, I never knew you. We could perhaps enter anything else into that space where where we go. But Lord, Lord, we could say to Jesus on that day, But Lord, Lord, I went to church every week. But Lord, Lord, I gave money to the church. But Lord, Lord, I helped the poor. But Lord, Lord, come on, I was on the cleaning roster. But Lord, I went on a mission trip. But Lord, all my friends were Christians. I want we'll say, all of these things are valuable, but they must flow from a personal faith and relationship with Jesus. Good works, no matter how supernatural or natural, no matter how good they are, good works, apart from a relationship with Jesus, is completely worthless in terms of our salvation. Those who trust in their own works for salvation will not be saved. And so once again, I think Jesus would have us be alert, but not be alarmed. We should be alert because the day of judgment when we stand before Jesus will come for all of us. We need to be alert to that reality. We need to be alert that the day will come when we stand before the Creator of all the universe and we'll be judged by Him. We need to be alert, but we don't need to be alarmed because we can be sure of our salvation today. We don't need to wait until that day. We can be sure of our salvation in this day. Jesus' words invite us to ask ourselves the most important question of discernment that we will ever reckon with. Are you secure in your salvation? If your answer to that is anything other than yes because of my personal faith and relationship with Jesus Christ, then let me encourage you to commit your life to Jesus today. You can be the best person in the world. You can have a list, kilometres long of things that you could come before Jesus and say, but Lord, Lord, I did this and that and the other thing. Your list could be a mile long. But again, the words of Jesus in John fifteen four and 5 say this, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in me, the true vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a person remains in me and I in them, they will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 6 continues, If anyone does not remain in me, they are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. And so Jesus goes on in John 15 with this theme, reminding us and teaching us that unless we are in Jesus, unless our, our life centers around personal faith and relationship with Jesus Christ, then it matters not what good things we might have done. They amount to nothing. So this morning I want to encourage us all to be alert. Be alert to the reality that we will face a day of judgment. But don't be alarmed because you can be secure and safe and saved on that day and you can know that right here and right now. Jesus, as I said, I imagine him looking over the shoulder of his disciples who are gathered in close as he's teaching them and I imagine him looking over their shoulders to the crowd, to the many and urging them. Don't be one of those who are part of the crowd, who came, who gathered around Jesus, who whose friends were Christian, who were on the cleaning roster. I'm not targeting anyone specific on the cleaning roster. (laughs) But don't let the cleaning roster be what you hope in for your salvation. Don't let anything that you can do be it supernatural, be it casting out demons, be it raising people from the dead in the name of Jesus. Don't let anything that you can do be what you trust in for your salvation. So I'm going to put a prayer up on the screen and um, for your sake it's bigger on that screen than on this front screen. And so I'm going to just pray through these words and um, for those of us that are um, believers and have been for some time, those of us that have made this commitment, it's great just to come back to this place. It's a place of joy of, of, of praying this prayer. But if you're here today and, and you're not sure of your salvation, if you've not made a personal commitment to follow Jesus, to be in relationship with Him, to be a true disciple, then I encourage you especially to pray along with this in your heart as I pray. Um, if you can't read the words on the screen, that's okay. I'll read it and pray in your heart with me. So Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, I am sorry for the things that I have done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I turn away from everything that I know is wrong and sinful. Thank you that you died on the cross for me. so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you for your forgiveness and the gift of your Holy Spirit to guide me. And I commit my life to follow you. I want to know you and be known by you. If you have been blessed
0: and encouraged by this message, we'd love like you to become a part of the Ask Baptist family log on to ycbc.church to find out more.